Hi, and welcome to Hear Us Wisconsin, Youth Voices on Youth Justice. My name is Bria Brown, and I'll be your host for today. Today, I'll be guiding you through youth-shared stories in the Wisconsin juvenile justice system. We hope that these discussions will amplify the importance of youth perspectives and help to reimagine how the juvenile justice system operates. In this episode, we'll be introduced to Elijah and Termaine as they share a bit about their lives leading up to their time spent in a youth detention facility in Wisconsin. And in the next episode, we'll hear a bit about their time spent in that facility. In a previous episode, we introduced the concept of trauma, PTSD, and complex trauma, and CPTSD. If you haven't listened to that episode, we encourage you to do so. As we listen to everyone who was previously involved in the system, they talk about circumstances in their lives that led them to be involved in the youth justice system. That's really crucial context to understanding their stories. It's also really important to understand how the system causes trauma to young people. Additionally, in this episode, we're going to talk about how racism impacts young people affected by the system and how racism upholds the carceral system. First, let's introduce so, Elijah. Introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Elijah. Um, Where are you from? Um, I'm from. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, but uh, I moved down to Racine when I was six um, because it was more fitting for my family, and it was there's barely any violence out here, so we try to move away from that. And do you have three words that would describe yourself? Um, athletic, uh, intelligent, and very bright. Okay. Uh, Racine is 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 a, a small town, but it's pretty big because of just like the stuff that's go that goes around. You know, it's a lot of events that happens. That this that you know that the city gives us, um, like for example, Fourth of July is an, is an amazing, amazing view downtown. It's a it's a pretty quiet place to raise raise kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a really nice place to raise a kid. Um, except for Chicago, Illinois, you know you gotta wor- worry about where the next bullet gonna come from. Moving from Chicago to Racine. It, it was a big help for my family and helped me grow to be a very, very um, intelligent man for me and my family. Um, do you have siblings? Um, yes, I have. I have two brothers and one sister. Okay. And are you, how do you fit in the, the middle, the oldest, the uh, youngest? I'm the oldest. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, your at-home school experience before going to um, it was, it was, it was decent. I was, I was, I was, a, um, uh, I can't say trouble, uh, kid because I wasn't, I just had to, uh, protect myself a lot, fighting a lot, you know, doing little kid stuff, but that wasn't, that wasn't really nothing. I was cool. Um, my parents was amazing. Uh, uh, my, my like little look. Like my little cousins and all of them, they was all around twenty four seven. So I always had something to do. Um, I always played basketball. I always played football. Uh, I was in track and field for a lot. Um, my my uncle most definitely helped helped me 
stay stay focused. I was never off track. So that would be would be good. So you liked school. I love school. So when you were in middle school, before you end up sort of ending up in your circumstances, I was I was in, I, I was an honor roll. I was an honor roll like every two weeks, every two weeks. I like it got to a point where my uncle he paid me he paid me every mm-hmm. time I got an honor roll because like like I got it all the time. He said so I got it like a lot. Like school was never a problem for me. You don't have to answer this question, but I'll ask it. Um, why do you feel like you had to defend yourself at school? Like if you were sort of focused on your because and you liked school. bullies. I didn't like bullies. I couldn't stand them. I got bullied a lot. I really did. But why? Why? Why did you get? Why do you think you got bullied? Because I was a big kid. Um, I was big kid. I was three fifty. Oh, you were a big 350. Kid. I was I was huge. I was mm. so I got picked on a lot. Mm. So I always stayed in fights. But at the same time, when it come to getting my work done, mm. still got your work done. Most definitely still got my work done. It, it was most definitely during not during class. It was more like more like after the bell is when people get to acting mm-hmm. mean and you know mm-hmm. doing you know teenager stuff. My first interaction with the police, I, I say I was like 11. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was pretty it was pretty uh like it was kind of weird for me because like I ain't never got stopped from the police or anything. But you know I was riding my bike, you know doing regular kid stuff, and I was a big guy. At 11, I was a big kid. Mm-hmm. I was huge. So, um, I was just riding my bike, you know. The police stopped me. It was kind of late at night, you know. And he had asked me where I was going. I, I wasn't a trouble kid, you know. I was just walking, just driving home from my grandma's house. So, you know, I, I just I said, no, I'm going to my grandmother's house. And then they got out of the car. He told me to stop. At that point, I'm like, like what I'm, what I gotta stop for? I'm going home, like, and and he just told me to stop. I got off the bike, set the bike down. They started to talk to me. Um, come to find out, they said that I looked like, um, I looked like, what is that word called? It's a, it's a word. Um, looked like the person that fit the description, meaning, suspect. meaning a uh, suspect. I'm like. I'm like, wait, hold on. I'm only 11. Like, like I'm. I don't know nothing about doing anything like this. I'm in school. I got. I got straight A's and B's. I'm. I'm doing me. You know. I. I'm not worried about no. No crime. No. Not even the drugs. So like, why? <laughs> why like? Uh, why stop me and just start? You know, doing. Police things, you know, and it's it's hard being a black man in the community for yeah. the cops that don't unfortunately don't like you. And what happened with that situation? Did it end up? Uh, it 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 kind. I think it kind of escalated because they they like took me home and like left my bike there, brand new bike, 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm driving home by myself, but they thought I was up to something driving well, driving home. So late at night, they thought I was up to something, so they just gave me a lift home, you know, and just told, told my mom. Um, and my mom didn't really care because, some fact, she hate the police, so she was just hoping that I didn't do nothing wrong. And I didn't do anything wrong, and I told her that they was just, they just stopped me because it was late night, and... They excused. They got a call that uh, that it was suspicious person in the in the uh, area. So I, I don't believe they, that bull. That's some crap to me. And they left your bike on the street. Yeah, they left my bike there. I was definitely there. I was I was super heated. Yeah. Daddy just bought me that bike, literally, and somebody stole it. Try to go right. back. Right. Try to go back. Thank you for introducing yourself to us, Elijah. We look forward to hearing more of your story. Next, let's introduce you Termaine. Introduce yourself, where you're from, and a little something about who you are. Well, my name is Termaine. I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, a little something about me is I've been through a lot, so I know a lot, and I move differently now. That's, a, that's very good. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what you mean, or a lot, about what you mean by you've been through a lot since... Um, like, since since childhood, um, I just, I haven't had my father around, but I did have a stepfather, you know what I'm saying? He told me a lot. He kept me under his wings up until the point where, um, you know, family things got moms and him separated. Mm -hmm. And then um, that's when it's like a... My mama, she tried her best to raise, you know, single single sons. Well, as a single parent, to raise two two kids, three kids, and um, after a while, it got tough on her. She mm -hmm. couldn't keep up with all of us, and I ended up, you know, drifting off towards more of a street life. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Instead of sticking with yeah. school and stuff like, like that. Really would, I was in the school that was, you know, accelerated learning. But after I touched the streets, it was more, you know, mm. I got pushed away. Um, you got pushed out of that, that school? Yeah. But interestingly enough, there was a teacher at that same school who recommended that you do the mm -hmm. online? No, so it was, was a different... Uh, I, once I left that school, I went to two different public schools. Okay. Um, Obama, well, Custer, it was Custer and Vincent. Mm. And it was a it private was a teacher school before that? Yeah, it was a private school before that, Believers in Christ. And what age were, would you say that you were, like, sort of moving moving out and spending right. less time in school? Freshman. Freshman in high school? Yeah. yeah. And how old are you now? I'm 20. Okay. Oh, that's right, because you had a birthday. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um... And so what what did that mean then? Like, um, what were you doing? Were you getting into trouble? Like Yeah, I was I, I was um hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um plus it was more of um me watching my mama kinda struggle to try to take care of us, so I tried to you know what I'm saying, I guess be a man myself and mm -hmm. just ended up doing things the wrong way. Ended yeah. up with the wrong crowd of people. And learn some bad habits. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, like, if I could just ask you, like, a really direct question. Like, when was your first interaction with the juvenile justice system? And what, 
what does that look like? Um, well, my very, very first interaction was getting caught with some bikes uh, in Glendale mm-hmm. and um, that we found in an alley. Mm-hmm. I guess they said we tried to steal or we broke into the garage and stole them. And um, they gave me um bracelet for that for uh, two months. They gave you what? Bracelet. Oh, okay. Probation. Like an ankle yeah. probation, yeah. so you're on, you're being monitored. Yeah. And how old are you? I'm like 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. But we was really fixing on the bikes. We found them in a trash can, but we was in a what we call a white neighborhood. So yep. they seen black people with bikes. So they assumed. Yeah, the neighbors. Stole them. Yeah. And so when you got the bracelet, were you like living at home? So you're going back home or where? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, did you have a lawyer? Mm, I'm probably out of public defender, but I don't remember the name. You don't remember? Mm, I don't remember the name. I didn't went through a lot of cases, so. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So that was the first one. Um, so, you know, sort of tell us about sort of, you can create a timeline, you know, if you want to talk about the timeline, like, you know, so that was the first, and then yeah, where did was, things get better, or where did they get worse? They kind of, um, got worse, I would say, because uh, my mother, she ended up doing some time herself, I ended up, um, acting out a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, I was chewing from school, mm-hmm. I, uh, Started getting tickets and um, charges for possession of, you know, narcotics, drugs, and stuff like that. Attempt to sell, mm-hmm. breaking and entering. I was doing a lot of um, bad stuff. After she went to jail, I, I guess I don't know. I don't know what point in time that was. Like right. I don't know what type of outbreak that was, but yeah. So when you're getting. So when you're... This is around, like, the age of 15. Okay. Um, I think I uh, I had a reign of terror. I would call it to, like, 17 until I went to jail. Reign of terror. Yeah. And go ahead. Where, I mean, where were you physically living when your mom was in jail? Um, I was still in the same house she left us in. Because okay. she uh, paid the rent up. Was your stepdad... Mm. No, it was just you and... Mm-hmm. She had, they had divorced, I think, when I was 13. Okay. Cool, cool. But you, that, so you had siblings? Mm-hmm. You had siblings? So that it was just you and your siblings in the mm-hmm. house? Yeah, yeah, my brothers. I would say sibling. I got multiple siblings from my biological father, but mm-hmm. from just my mama and my biological father that lived in the same household, it was me and my brother. Um. So were you taking care of him? He younger? Mm, no. He my older brother. He's your older brother. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. At the uh, the point she went to jail, she only went to got locked up and went to county for five months. Um, but at that point, she it was like uh, I was doing my own thing. Like mm-hmm. the rent and stuff was paid up, so that's when I started like uh, trying to make extra money and go to school. So I was selling um, selling drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got um, one major case that sent me to, you know, detention and stuff, and that was the possession and an attempt to sell, possession of firearm, attempt to sell. And and then you go to Milwaukee County detention, right? Um, yes. Right here. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, how long were you? How long were you in detention? I was in detention for. 
In this episode, we heard about both Tremaine and Elijah's first interactions with law enforcement, as they shared situations in which they were unjustly profiled by police and at such young ages. It seems like a really good time to provide some more context around systemic racism and the juvenile justice system in Wisconsin and in the United States. First and foremost, overall youth arrests and placements have gone down in Wisconsin. But while that's the case, arrests and placements of youth of color in the juvenile justice system have steadily been on the increase. Between the years of 2003 and 2013, Wisconsin saw a significant increase in racial and ethnic disparities between youth and youth of color. This is not because youth of color are committing more of what is considered to be crimes, but due to a number of other reasons rooted in systemic and structural racism. Additionally, research suggests that youth of color receive harsher treatment than their white counterparts at nearly every stage of the juvenile justice process. For example, on average, youth of color are confined and sentenced for longer periods and are less likely to receive alternative sentences or probation compared to white youth. An analysis of these disparities points to a number of contributing factors. Some of these include differential police policies and practices, including over-policing of black neighborhoods, the location that offenses occur, different reactions of victims, and punitive juvenile laws dating back to the 90s, or what was termed the super predator era in which youth and in particular black male youth were portrayed as dangerous and as requiring of harsher punishments and of course an overall persistent racial bias within the justice system in other words both a structure and a system that is and has been deeply rooted in racism this context is crucial when listening to the various stories shared in this podcast series in the next episode, we'll hear from Termaine and Elijah about their experiences within juvenile detention centers. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Hear Us, Wisconsin. We greatly appreciate Termaine and Elijah for spending the time to speak with us on this podcast, and we look forward to hearing more from them in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Hear Us. If you would like additional information and resources, please visit our website, racetoequity.net. We want to extend a special thank you to the youth who bravely shared their experiences with us. We also want to thank the professionals who shared their insights with us. Thank you to Ward FM in Madison, Wisconsin, and the Underground Collective in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for recording space and expertise. And finally, thank you, Erica Nelson, for forging this project. This podcast was made possible by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, B. Brown Productions, and the Kids Forward Race to Equity team. Editing and narration was done by Bria Brown of B. Brown Productions, narration by Alexa Turner, and the cover art by Walker TKL. Please subscribe to Hear Us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.